this season on that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. We'll take a step back from Viking history that you may know us best for and look at some of the other valuable history that York has to offer. York Archaeological Trust finds artifacts from all sorts of time periods, ranging from Stone Age arrowheads to 21st century Nokia 3310s. This summer, we'll be taking a look at York's medieval and early modern history. But don't worry, we've not forgotten about the Vikings. We'll be getting back to them a bit later in the year. So make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of this season. So Miranda, I was thinking today we could start off by talking about one of York's beautiful medieval buildings, Micklegate Bar. Now, Micklegate Bar is quite special, isn't it, for the city of York? Yeah, it really is. I mean, especially, I think it's quite a timely episode we talk about this. It's got a bit of a, a royal tie, hasn't it? Definitely. So you may have noticed as an American moving here to England, that England is a magical fairy tale land of queens and knights and princesses. And we love our traditions. We love our royal protocol. Things that we do weird and wonderful things that go back centuries. And Micklegate Bar is the centre of this in the city of York. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have noticed that. I mean, there are far fewer people wearing those kind of like pointy cone princess hats than I would have expected. But yeah, there seems to be a bit of, you know, pomp and ceremony that surrounds the monarchy, even here in York, when we're quite far away from London, really. Yes, yeah, so Micklegate Bar has this connection with royalty. But before we dive into that, should we talk about what Micklegate Bar actually is? Yes, I think we should. So Micklegate Bar is one of the museums that we run here at the Jorvik Group. And so being one of the managers, I, I find myself there from time to time. And it's, it's a really fascinating building, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. A beautiful building as well. So York is famous for our city walls. They are the most complete city walls in all of England. And Micklegate Bar is the entryway, one of four, for the city walls. The other three are Monk Bar, Bootham Bar, and Walmgate Bar. So Micklegate Bar is the main entrance to York for any visitors who approach from the south. It's the most important of York's four main medieval gateways. And as we kind of just insinuated, it is the royal entrance to York. Traditionally, the monarch enters York through Micklegate Bar, where they ceremonially request permission from the Lord Mayor of York to enter. So Micklegate Bar is quite old. It was built in stages and has been kind of repaired and renovated a load since then. The earliest parts of Micklegate Bar were constructed in the 12th century, whilst the upper two stories of the building were added in the 14th century to allow it to house a portcullis. A barbican was also added to the 14th century, but unfortunately it was later removed in the 19th century, so that's not there anymore. It looks really cool. I've seen drawings of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now that we know a little bit about the building itself, I mean, we really should probably talk about this whole royal protocol thing, this aspect of it. I mean, we just had the Jubilee, so it feels quite timely, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So the city of York has had royalty, kings, queens, and emperors visiting for millennia, really. We've had Roman emperors like Septimius Severus and Constantine the Great come up. There, of course, were loads and loads and loads of Viking kings, as well as Anglians, of course, as well. But in those early years of York's history, there's no kind of royal protocol, as far as we can tell, royals and emperors would approach from whichever way they felt most fit. You could imagine Vikings come up the river rather than through the <laughs> gateway. Well, I was going to say Micklegate, I mean, gate is a Viking suffix, isn't it? So Micklegate has a Viking name. Was this, was this used by the Vikings at all, do we think? 
So some of the Vikings may have come from the south. The great heathen army that invaded probably came from the south, but they were probably setting fire to the city <laughs> rather than going, we request permission. So no, little, no little ceremonies for them. Oh, what a shame. No, others probably came from the north and the east as well. So I don't, I don't think this pageantry had quite taken off just yet. <laughs> but yeah, the name, uh, Micklegate, uh, from Old Norse, Miklagata, the Great Streets. Uh, you see Mikla also in the Viking name for Constantinople or Istanbul, um, Miklagard, the great city. So it's got a little Viking connection there, but I doubt the Vikings were using <laughs> the gateway with a fancy ceremony, unfortunately. Uh, some of the earlier medieval kings weren't doing this either. Uh, Wil- William the Conqueror, uh, he arrived in a rather violent fashion. <laughs> so I believe he spent Christmas in York at one point with the city on fire around him wearing his crown. Oh, I bet it kept so, him nice and toasty. Yeah. That's, that's nice. So I don't think they were welcoming him at the gates <laughs> there either. I think a lot of the subsequent kings in the 12th, 13th and 14th centuries were visiting York all the time. Of course, back in those days, York is the capital city of the north of England. It's a centre of administration. And I'd imagine they're probably here so often... It's not very special. No, to be yeah. Honest. I mean, if they're if they're visiting all the time, I mean, it would just become a little bit tedious, wouldn't it? Like, okay, come on, yeah, you can get permission. That's fine. Yeah, uh, King John, for instance, we know visited York seventeen times throughout his reign, and to do that every single time, go to Middlegate Bar and go, welcome, Your Majesty. <laughs> Would get very boring, I think. Parliament would follow the kings in this period as well, so government becomes based up here. And of course, in the later Middle Ages, there were a few wars that England had against the Scots, the wars of Scottish independence. And during this period, York is basically the capital for long periods of time. So the kings are here so much, it's just unnecessary to have some sort of special (laughs) pageants for them. I think it's around the time of the Hundred Years' War, things start to change a bit. Uh, the focus of the royalty is away from fighting the Scots in the north to fighting the French in the south. So they're not here all the time. So when they do come up, it's a bit special again. And it looks like it's around the reign of King Richard II in the 14th century that Middlegate Bar really becomes this royal ceremonial feature of York. So the building itself got jazzed up a little during the reign of its predecessor, Edward III. So it's now a very tall, very grand, very, very impressive building. And Richard II seems to have liked York quite a lot. He visited loads of times, and he granted the city greater freedoms and privileges throughout his visits. And in the year 1389, he dealt with a dispute between civic and ecclesiastical dignitaries in the city, After resolving the dispute, he took a sword from his side and presented it to the mayor, declaring that he and his successors will now bear the title of Lord Mayor. And it seems at this point the traditional ceremonial arrival of of monarchs through Micklegate Bar begins. In brief, the monarch arrives at Micklegate Bar, they meet the Lord Mayor, and they've got to touch that state sword when they enter the gate. Although it's worth noting, Richard II's sword is long gone now. It's a different sword that's now in use. But a very fancy one, the Sigismund sword, which dates to the 15th century, and I believe it can be seen in the mansion house in York City Centre. It probably so it, doesn't have quite the same magical properties as the not original quite, one. But how, how, many, how many places can say they've got a special royal sword? It's like Lord of the Rings or something, it is a bit, isn't, isn't it? it? <laughs> a bit like Excalibur or something. Yeah. You know? It does feel very like mythological. 
So, I mean, why would Richard II do that? It seems a very, like, you know, kind of grandiose thing to do, really. Yeah, Richard II is an interesting character. Um, He developed a lot of the ceremony and the cultural aspects of the English monarchy, things that we consider to be very traditional, didn't quite happen until his reign. So, for example, your royal majesty, he seems to have brought that custom in, referring to him by that title. And he even had a rule that if you glanced at him, you must kneel before him. So he was probably trying to imitate the French court, but he comes across as a bit narcissistic, to be <laughs> honest. Um, it just he, sounds like he wanted to have a fuss made over him. I can I can relate yeah, to that a little bit. <laughs> he loves this kind of pageantry. He loves being the centre of attention. He thinks monarchy is amazing. It must look amazing and be treated in, a, in an amazing fashion. So it's no wonder that he wanted this grand entrance every time that he came to visit. And Middlegate Bar, of course, was one of the fanciest buildings in York at the time. And also it's the most practical if you're a visitor from the south, because the Ouse Bridge, which is at the end of Middlegate, if you go through the bar and into the city, this was the only crossing over the river around York until the mid-19th century. So you couldn't really access the other <laughs> gates, to be honest. So no wonder Middlegate Bar was the entrance of choice for a southern king to visit through. All right, so what about subsequent monarchs? Did they do the same thing as well? I mean, did they kind of partake in this ceremony or did they cast it aside? Yeah, we have records of quite a few different kings and queens coming to York and doing the magic sword touching ceremony. <laughs> it's not magic, I'm, I'm afraid, but... Um... You can't prove that. <laughs> <laughs> this, this really special grand ceremony, yeah, it continued for centuries. So the next one that I've come across is King Henry VI. So he was one of the kings during the Wars of the Roses. He's a very, very nice man. He's the one who founded schools and built hospitals, but had mental illness and was a king during a horrible civil war. So a very unfortunate time for a nice man to be king of England. He arrived in 1448. He approached Middlegate Bar. There was a grand ceremony and a crown was made to descend on a bed of roses into a world of trees and flowers which bowed to it. So that sounds quite nice. It does. I'm not entirely sure how I can picture it, but yeah, it sounds lovely. I wish I had an illustration somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. And then sticking to the Wars of the Roses, the next monarch, uh, Edward IV, who was of the Yorkist house, whereas Henry VI was Lancastrian, he arrived in 1461. Interestingly, there's no account of an elaborate ceremony like the one that welcomed King Henry, but there's a reason for this. It would have been a pretty gruesome sight when he arrived at Middlegate Bar, because there is a darker side of the building's history. As he approached, he would have seen the severed heads of his father, Richard Duke of York, his uncle, Richard Earl of Salisbury, and his brother, Edmund Earl of Rutland, probably mounted on pikes, dripping with blood. So it would have been very inappropriate, I Yeah, think. it's not quite the magical sword-touching ceremony that you want if your, you know, family beheaded is looking down on you, really, is it? Yeah. These relatives had all been executed after the Battle of Wakefield in 1460, and um, they were removed, though, after Edward's arrival and replaced with the heads of Lancastrian leaders. So a happy ending, I suppose. But there is a lot more to the gruesome history of Middlegate Bar, which I don't think we'll talk about today. But maybe tune in a bit closer to Halloween and we'll tell you all about the grisly side of the city walls history. Spooky. All right, so you've mentioned the Wars of the Roses. I mean, Richard III, he 
like lived in York at one point. We've learned that from a previous episode or he he really had an affection for York. So he must have partook in this ceremony. Definitely. Yeah. He was very, very close and friendly with the city of York. He actually had this grand entrance at Micklegate Bar before he became king, back when he was only the Duke of Gloucester and the Duke of Albany. Uh, interestingly, he wasn't even heir to the throne at this point, so maybe the people of York just loved him so much and his royal connections, they thought he was worthy of this same arrival, perhaps representing his own brother, I suppose. It does feel a little bit suspect, but we did learn in our Richard III episode that the people of York just absolutely loved Richard III, so I guess that makes sense. And we've got a bit more details about this visit as well. Uh, ordinary people were instructed to arrive at 3am, so very, very early. The aldermen and councillors arrived at 4am. They get an extra hour lie-in, I suppose, being a bit richer. They dressed themselves in scarlet and crimson, whilst the poorer folk all wore their best clothes. And they went out to meet him, and he had a lovely visit, no doubt. He loved York. He arrived several times when he was King of England, even though his reign was actually very short. He was only King of England from 1483 to 1485. But he spent about three weeks here in 1483, and on that occasion, once again, he was met by the mayor and the aldermen, and then his grand procession went through Micklegate Bar, all the way to the Minster, where he was sprinkled with holy water and given £450 worth of presents. So very nice. Ooh, I would take that. <laughs> York loved him so much, they actually sent a contingent of troops to support him against Henry Tudor's invasion, but they were too late and he died. <laughs> so, whoopsie. <laughs> All right, so on the opposite side of that Wars of the Roses coin, Henry VII. So York was in an iffy situation here. They have just sent a load of soldiers to battle against him at the Battle of Bosworth. And now he is the King of England. So they really, really want to suck up to him now. <laughs> so the new king, Henry VII, went on a royal progress of England, visiting many major cities, including York. So York put on a huge celebration for his arrival, and it sounds really, really over the top, but they wanted to make a really good impression and win his favour to make sure the city prospered again. Now, they spared no expense for the new king. They spent £66. Ooh, wow. Now, <laughs> less than Richard, I might add, but... <laughs> That's a lot of money in the 15th century. They presented him with a series of pageants and speeches along his route to the city. They expressed the, his virtues and his hereditary right to rule the throne. He was met by York sheriffs and aldermen with 60 horses outside the city. And once again, they're dressed in beautiful clothes, scarlet gowns, violet, mulberry. And when he arrived at Micklegate Bar... Children called out his name, and a red and white rose was displayed, the Tudor rose, of course, and it's described as being uh, decorated as a place in the manor of heaven, whatever that looks like. <laughs> Once again, illustrations would have been lovely. <laughs> he was met by a figure dressed as E. Brauch. Now, that's a weird name. It is, I've yes. not come across this name in any other <laughs> contest, but supposedly E. Brauch is the legendary founder of York, and... I'm not sure where this comes from because it doesn't seem to be true as far as I can tell. I think it's a personified version of the word Eberacum, the Roman name for the city. A bit like how Britannia is a personification of Britain. So Ebrauch greeted him in verse and gave him the keys to the city. And the crowds then sprinkled the royal entourage with rose water and sweetmeats as it went through the streets after entering the bar. 
And then even after he's passed Michal Bar, gone through this really over-the-top version of that traditional ceremony, it continues. He meets six people dressed up as the previous six kings named Henry. He meets someone dressed as King Solomon from the Bible, and someone dressed as the Virgin Mary as well, all saying, Oh, Henry, you're amazing! Oh, Henry, you are the best king we're ever going to have! You are so legitimate! <laughs> At no point was anyone like, this might be a little over the top, you guys. Uh, He did come back again uh, the following year. It was a bit different, though. Uh, There were some little rebellions against his rule. Just a small one. Um, Some people may have heard of a couple of people who pretended to be the rightful heirs to the throne. One of these is Lambert Simnel. And some people um, tried to put put him on the throne of England. Henry arrived in York with a big show of force, accompanied by a thousand noblemen dressed in military garb. The mayor met him again at Micklegate Bar, but it wasn't dressed up like heaven this time. It was very much business time. Lots and lots of rebels were executed, and the mayor was knighted. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A bit different this time around, that's fair. I guess they've blown their budget of £66 the previous year as well. All right, so what about after the medieval period? Yeah, so as we enter the early modern period, into the 17th century, the tradition does continue. So the first of the Stuart kings of England, known here as James I, but known over the border as James VI, he became king of England in 1603, when his cousin Elizabeth I died. And he planned to depart Edinburgh and go on a lovely tour of his new kingdom. Now, one of the Elizabethan courtiers had suggested, why don't you leave Edinburgh a bit quietly, travel incognito nice and quickly, come to one of my family estates in Northamptonshire. But James said, I have no intention of denying York a celebration party. It's the second city in my new kingdom. So in 1603, he left Scotland on his way to London and came to York, and he was welcomed with demonstrations of loyalty. At Micklegate Bar, there was entertainment, the Lord Mayor and 12 aldermen dressed in scarlet robes and crimson gowns. They love red, seemingly, (laughs) don't they? Uh, They met him there, they kneeled to him, they welcomed him. They said to James, Most high and mighty prince, in token of our duties, I deliver unto your majesty all my authority of of this, your highness's city. Um, He then rose up and he kissed the ceremonial sword and delivered it to the king's hands. So, lovely. They even repainted Micklegate Bar just for him. Oh, that's nice. So, very nice. A few extra stone figures were set up as well and gilded periodically. So, he got a nice welcome, our first of the Stuart kings of England. And apparently there's even an image of his visit in a stained glass window in York's Guildhall. I've not seen it myself, but I'll check it out next time I visit the Guildhall. Uh, James clearly liked York because it was in, later in his reign he suggested that maybe the English capital should move to York. London's very far from Scotland, after all, and he's got two kingdoms to manage. Londoners weren't very keen on this, though. So, uh, to this day, London is still the capital of England and not York. But for just a s- small period there... Know, could you imagine, yeah, though? Yeah. We'd have our lovely Scottish royal family based here right in the middle <laughs> of the of the island. <laughs> All right, so obviously the people of York really liked James, but what about less popular kings? What was their ceremony like? So James's successor, King Charles I, I found accounts of two visits through Micklegate Bar that he made in the 17th century. One was in 1633, at the height of his popularity, 
On this occasion, the Lord Mayor made a grand speech to, to the King, and he spoke of the gay Charles as the light of his subject's eyes, the glory and the admiration of the known world. So they're sucking up quite a lot here. We're approaching <laughs> Henry VII territory. But very shortly after this, in 1639, Charles was now very unpopular, and for his own safety, 600 soldiers had to line Blossom Street. That's the street approaching Micklegate Bar. Um, there was a wee civil war that uh, kicked <laughs> off around this point, which resulted in his execution. Uh, so it wasn't always uh, rose water and sweetmeats and grand speeches. <laughs> All right. So after the civil war, when the monarchy was restored, I mean, do we have more of these ceremonies taking place? So I actually couldn't find many accounts of these grand arrivals from Micklegate Bar after these ones that Charles I did. Um, undoubtedly, the kings and queens, they were visiting York occasionally, but I think York's fortunes began to change around this point. York, of course, was very important in the Roman times, in the Anglian times, the Viking times, the medieval times. It's the preeminent city in northern England. But from the late 17th, early 18th century, there are lots and lots of contenders up here in the north. And nowadays, the big cities of northern England, the places like, you know, Manchester, Leeds, Bradford, York is like a very, very large country market town with a pretty <laughs> cathedral in the middle. It's, it's retained a lot of its medieval charm. It lost its importance, to be honest. So it seems like these ceremonies kind of fell by the wayside just a little bit. I think the kings and queens, the, the Stuarts, the Hanoverians, Queen Victoria, they probably prefer to laze about in their beautiful palaces, places like Hampton Court, Osborne House, Balmoral. Why go into some northern industrial city <laughs> when you could just prance around in your garden? But in the very, very, very modern period, the 20th and 21st centuries, we have some very, very detailed accounts and even photos, which makes it very, very helpful to imagine <laughs> what these things look like. The current monarch of the UK, Elizabeth II, she's visited many times. In uh, 1971, that was a very special year for the city, it was York's 1,900th anniversary since the Romans founded the city. So the Queen visited with her husband, Prince Philip, on the 28th of June, 1971. There were trumpeteers atop Micklegate Bar, and the crowds of the public were six people deep lined up on Blossom Street. She arrived with 60 household cavalry, and this is the first time that household cavalry had entered the streets of York since the 17th century, the time of the Stuart Kings. She also received a 21-gun salute at the Knaves Mire, a bit further up the road, which terrified local children, according <laughs> to local newspapers. And 21 aircraft made the letters E-R, Elizabeth Regina, appear in the sky. And shortly after this, the ceremonial sword of state was presented to her by the mayor, and she came through. But crowds ga gathered four hours before she arrived, so... We still love our pomp and ceremony here in York. I know, uh, and I would times. like to see the accounts of Henry VII having 21 aircrafts making his initials in the sky, you know? Yeah. So it sounds like we were still doing doing it right in 1971. She came again in 2000, a bit more of a low-key affair, arrived by train, drove to Middlegate Bar, touched the sword, came inside. So a bit less over the top, but nice nonetheless, the ceremony continued. And in 2012, for the previous Jubilee, before the one we just had, her Diamond Jubilee, she arrived on the 5th of April, 
And on this occasion, there were medieval musicians at Michelgate Bar, along with reenactors dressed in Civil War outfits. So that's nice. That's a period you don't see too often in York. It's normally Romans and Vikings. <laughs> she was met by the Lord Mayor and the town clerk. They read out a proclamation of welcome. And once again, crowds and crowds of people gathered hours and hours in advance. It was estimated about 15,000 people came to York around this time. Uh, not all of Michelgate, though. The street's not that big. I think throughout the city, tourism in general got boosted quite a bit. And later during their visit, they were gifted chocolates made here in York using moulds made from the civic chains of office. Then she left in a helicopter. <laughs> so a bit different again to our earlier uh, Richard II-style visits. So it's actually really cool that all, every king and queen who came to York kind of followed this very over-the-top ceremony. Well, it's a lovely tradition, but unfortunately, there were some naughty monarchs who did not <laughs> abide by the rules. Can you imagine one particular naughty monarch that I might be referring to? Uh, a very famous one, did some iffy things throughout yeah, his is, reign. I think it's the one with six wives, yes. something like that, Henry so, VIII. So, King Henry VIII, um, he is quite the character, shall we say. <laughs> he came up to York in the 1540s, a few years after the Pilgrimage of Grace. So that was an uprising against him due to his religious reforms. Uh, the Catholics weren't too keen on the Protestant Reformation, after all. It, at Micklegate Bar, the city prepared canvas towers, turrets, and battlements with the arms of the king, his queen, Catherine Howard, and the prince. They set those up on the bar, and they waited for him. And they waited. And they waited. And they checked the time. <laughs> and they thought, where is King Henry VIII? He should have been here ages ago. He actually came through Warmgate's Bar, that's the eastern gateway to York, and didn't tell them. So he was in the city centre already, probably chilling out, having dinner by this point. <laughs> so not really a nice chap, Henry VIII, left them waiting. He was a little bit peeved, I suppose, though, that this rebellion had happened. The mayor and all the councillors had to kneel before him, confess their offences during the pilgrimage of grace, promising to serve the king. Then they gave the king silver cups containing 100 pounds of gold, and £40 for his queen as well. So quite a different visit that Henry VIII had. Just threw the traditions out the window and took a load of money. <laughs> All right, that was actually quite a lot of fun. I love hearing about York's history, something a, a little bit different than the Vikings, you know? Um, maybe next time we'll get a chance to talk about York's early modern history. Yeah, that'll be great. If you liked this episode, you should go visit Micklegate Bar to see the current exhibition about the history of York City Walls, to discover the wall's 2,000-year-old story involving battles, imprisonment, and near destruction. If you get our passport, you can visit all four Yorvik Group attractions. Book your tickets now on yorkcitywalls.com. Don't forget to rate and review that Yorvik Viking Thing podcast on your podcast app. And if you enjoyed the show, share us with a friend. It's the best way to help support your favorite history podcast. To contact us for more information or ideas for future episodes, you can email us on podcast at yorkat.co.uk. Thanks for listening to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Transcripts and chapter markers are available on yorvikthing.buzzsprout.com. That Yorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Yorvik Group and York Archaeology. Hosted by Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. Researched by Lucas Norton, Ashley Fisher, and Miranda Schmiederer. 
produced by Ashley Fisher, sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.